Hello and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. Yeah. And also making families. I had a baby or my wife had a baby last week. So we haven't recorded an episode. Been a little late with that. It took some time, but we've been chugging along and you've been keeping things rolling with me. I don't know. I, I This is week two and I'm back to getting back to work a little bit, but um happy to say everything went smoothly and we were expecting the worst. The baby was upside down a week before and went into the hospital and they were going to maybe have to figure out a way to get the baby heads down, but they did a exam and she was already heads down and ready to go. And then everything went really smooth and she sleeps well. It's been nice to take some time off. Was like, it, it kind of made me realize I haven't really taken like a uh, real time off in, in quite a, a long time. Even when I have take some time off. I did go on a hiking trip. That was good, but that was more like over the weekend, but just having some kind of downtime with family felt really good. How much of it was like downtime versus busy with a a newborn? Like waiting at the hospital. So we have, I have a a two-year-old at home who's the way we're dividing and conquer. It's like, I'm taking the lead there, but we also have childcare. There wasn't a lot. I shouldn't call it downtime. I should really just call it away from work time away from email, away from Slack, away from working on projects, which feels like to let go of that stuff is difficult. But after a couple of days, it was, it was feeling a little bit more natural. It's like it takes a few days to kind of ease into it, but we all knew this was coming. So I put some people in place to help out. We basically, I've launched every business that everything I'm working on the month before we got everything completed. So like the Blink Cell launch, all the other various projects, I was doing a retrospective the third quarter and it's like everything got done and launched before it was before the baby would come. So now we're here and I'm enjoying the fruits of the labor. Yeah, uh, it was good. And so I like we had live deals and I was like, I should send Brent a message. I didn't. So everything smoothly without you. We got the people in place to do stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. I got a little bored at the waiting for the baby to show up because we, like I said, we have childcare and I'm just sitting there. So I, I think I was probably pinging you more than definitely more than you were pinging me. I was like, Hey, what's going on? What's yeah. happening? And now two weeks later, I'm, I'm ready to go back to work. I'm ready to, that being said, I've been working from home a bunch and I've been realizing like breaking my day up and being around the house a little bit is, is nice. My, my son, who's two, if he sees us in the house, he like, want he like lums onto us and doesn't want us to leave so it's a little difficult when he's around but with the newborn you can kind of pop in hold her for 30 minutes have lunch with my wife it's it's been really nice uh, just like a delightful last two weeks so I, I think i'm gonna still try to work from home a bit more and just stay around and stay present to help out whenever i can but part of some people know this, i'm not sure if i've talked about it much in the podcast but we actually moved closer to family during COVID. And so we have so much more support than when we had our first child, which it was basically just us and my parents were like an hour away and it was all on us and we didn't know what we were doing. And now we know what we're doing and we have help and cousins and all sorts of, you know, people can stop in and, you know, just contribute. You drop a meal off. It's been, we felt very loved. So (laughs) it's been awesome. Honestly, I don't, uh, know why we waited so long to have kids i'm almost 40 and my wife is too and so we're having kids kind of older we prioritize our careers and traveling and whatever else but i don't know if i'd wish i did it earlier i feel like it's the right time when it's the right time but i was nervous about this 
as part of like, how do you balance these two things? And so I just, my, my takeaway is just taking time off never feels like you should, but it, it always is worth it. And it's just great to get that like calm and perspective. That's great to hear. So with all your downtime, yeah. did you, uh, you got into DeFi? You're a big believer now? <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> did spend some time before the baby was here from our uh, prior conversation. There were a couple takeaways. One was to check out some of these, I don't know, how would we categorize like retail yield services? I don't know, like Haru Invest or Donut, um, looking into like how swapping and pooling kind of works, but also just seeing how would you log in to how do you use the blockchain to authenticate, like how the internet is going to work in the future and, and tinkering with some of the code tools that are out there. So that was a lot of fun. The thing that I'm so happy about is that it's similar to what happened in AI in the last couple of years. It's like more and more libraries are showing up and it's getting easier. You don't need to know the math. It's I'm the type of developer that like, I understand what's going on database, but I don't want to write all my SQL. And I know SQL, but you, you get these layers of abstraction and layers of abstraction and layers of abstraction built upon one another where like the implementation of which algorithm, you don't have to know the math. You just need to know what the algorithm is and what it does. And then you can use it as, as a tool. So I've got my wallets set up. We were talking about this before, but it was like, how do you, with some of these yield services, like Donut is pretty lame is, is my feedback. It's super easy on-ramp. You put cash into it. It's not really, I think they keep the crypto side of this kind of, obfuscated. It feels just my parents were interested in it. So I put a little bit of money and I, I showed it to them. It was like, it just adds money and you're generating some amount of yield. And the thing that you, you aren't affected by, I guess right now, Ethereum is, is going up, Bitcoin's going up. So you're not really enjoying any of the appreciation there. So you're getting like this small APY. So it, it isn't from a, like a yield perspective, not that interesting, but it was super easy to just get started. It connected to my bank account through Plaid, did an ACH transfer, gave me the money right away to, to start earning on. So I don't know if, if folks like your folks or, or older people that are you know less sophisticated and don't want to get a wallet set up, it's, it's definitely an option. I guess it can go down. It's an FDIC. It's not an FDIC insured account. It's like a brokerage account, which is kind of the question on, on all these that we were talking about, but even Haru, it's like these things all can go down and it's hard to know to do the diligence on these things. Like how exactly are you doing it? And you were like, your opinion was like, you have to just evaluate the teams that are working on these products. And that's what you're essentially betting on. That's my biggest thing by far. So I guess going through some of these, Haru, I put a little money in it. It freaks me out. It's very opaque. My understanding is that it's like a South Korean hedge fund that day trades with your money and gives you like a piece of their return basically. And so you get, nice yield, but it's, if it disappeared tomorrow, I'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I understand how that one just disappeared on you. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, there is an element to all of these services that you just go to the website tomorrow and it's gone. It just reminds me of that South Park where it's like Stan goes to put, I think it's Stan. He goes to put his money in the market at the bank and they, and it's gone. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. Okay. The money's gone. So one, it still yeah. feels very volatile. For sure. So Donut, I think, is very legit. So it is basically a beautiful, easy on-ramp backed by A16Z and like legit founders, legit venture capital firm. And it's built on top of Yearn, which is like one of the most trusted places for DeFi yield. 
So giving you some exposure to like uh, a DeFi savings account and making like all the difficulty of setting up a wallet, connecting a wallet, all that stuff, and just like uh, hiding that away from you. So Donut, I would say is uh, very safe. If it were to go down, it'd be like some contract risk. It's not really like a rug pull. No one's trying to cheat you, but there's a potential that there's some flaw in the code, which I think is less likely here than basically anywhere else. And then some mm-hmm. of the others are you know, more and more dangerous. I would say I'm like a slow mover. I move when I see that the team's really good and like hundreds of millions of dollars have moved into it. And like my little amount of money is you know, inconsequential right. and not a huge risk at that point. So I experienced uh, part of last week. I was just kind of, or no, this is now, yeah, last week, I just mess around. I you know, bought my name on uh, the Ethereum registrar, just something to, to play with. It's like you immediately run into the main critique of, I would call the main critique of, of Ethereum right now, which is gas fees, which is, oh, I'm going to spend, you know, $20 worth of Ethereum, but then I have to pay $150 or we've talked about this before. It's a variable amount, but it's generally more than the transaction. It's not proportional necessarily to the transaction, or at least the floor of it is, is high enough that it's, wow, this doesn't seem like a good value for a currency. So I, I've been now stuck on one of my wallets. Like I can't do anything because I'm, I'm out of Ethereum. That's not, or that's like liquid. I, yeah. I need to actually throw money into my wallet in order to liquidate or swap and stuff out of different currencies. Yeah. That's happened to me a bunch. You run out of gas basically on the highway and you like want to do anything and you can't do anything. So there's ways where you can do it quickly where $200, put it on a credit card. Maybe there's like a 10% fee, but at least you can you know, move money if you have to move money. I have this weird thing where I started messing around with it and I would $50 in yield in some weird coin. And I'd go to transfer that back Ethereum or something useful and $60 in gas fees. So now right. I like, I don't, are gas fees ever going to go low enough that I could touch that money or just going to sit there forever. And it's like a, a meaningless yield that I can't use. I don't know. That is, that's the state I'm in on two different kind of currencies that I'm wondering, I'm just a noob, right? So I just figured this would happen. And it's not a consequential amount of money worth, man, I'm really, and generally the bet is all this stuff's going to go up, you know, and I'm thinking like a 10 year time scale. That's all this money is like stuff that I would just, you know, sprinkle and, and expect to like an IRA or ideally it goes up and it's, it's a very small amount. So it's nothing to be in, super concerned about, but it's been fun. It's been really fun to, you do definitely get the, that feeling like the first time seeing Napster, the first time going on a web page, the first time using some of these services where it just, it opens a door and you're like, oh, okay, this is how it's going to work now. I get it. So everybody is is trying to figure these tools out. And I think the identity solution is so far my favorite, right? The wallet getting away from Facebook, Google, these corporations that if they own an identity, that's a little scary. So it's cool to see that kind of heading back in the direction of people. That being said, I'm sure companies are going to be needed. These are, I was trying to show my folks came in town to to meet their granddaughter. And I was trying to explain to my dad and he's pretty sad. He's 80 something years old, but still uh, he knows how to use his phone really well. He uses his computer pretty well. He's always been um, pretty up to date. And so, but just getting somebody like that to understand a wallet or even cryptocurrency in general, it's difficult, but going to Coinbase helps going to use some of these more easy on-ramp tools. And that's where I think all the, there's going to be a corporation like a Facebook or I'm sure Facebook would love it to be them. 
that easily lets lets you set up a wallet and it almost doesn't feel like a wallet and it doesn't feel like a complicated tech platform. So it'll be curious to see who or what form that takes and, and what company ends up doing that the best. That's the clear like angle of attack to me is like, my mom, my parents, they're never going to have a 24 secret word passphrase that they're going to know how to handle. Like that whole wallet setup is just wild. And I think you just need some super simple wallet that's like in a browser that just automatically logs you into everything. Like the number of times when parents have forgotten a password and asked me a password for things is like unbelievable. Oh yeah. And if you could just have the browser, it's your wallet, but you don't know any of this stuff or terminology and you just auto logged into everything and it follows you around. Like that's such a clear endpoint. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, that's been the crypto update. The Obviously, prices are going up. It's Q4. So moving it around into different things, but generally it, it feels like everything's floating up. And then I, I'll, I would expect in Q1 things to crash back down and then start the cycle over again. But generally, it's going in one direction, which is is generally up. Oh, for sure. October, they call it. Q4 every year, it seems <laughs> to go up. <laughs> the one piece of advice I give to people that uh, we maybe haven't talked about on here, unless you're messing around with like tens of thousands of dollars, Ethereum just doesn't make any sense. Like the gas fees are going to be so high. It's going to offset any of your yield that you're really going to get. So if you go to Solana, it's like fractions of a penny to do transactions. And there's this really nice wallet over there called Phantom. So if you set up Phantom wallet and just mess around, you could do DeFi stuff with like a hundred dollars. And yeah. do a bunch of transactions. That is by far the best way to learn. Get your reps in. Uh, then like do an Ethereum and make one trade and immediately <laughs> losing like half of your stack of uh, chips over there. Yeah. So to buy Solana, do you have to, you can buy it directly. You can, like the best way to convert it from cash is how? I generally buy it in like Coinbase and then mm -hmm. I send it to my Phantom wallet. I, I You could probably buy it in the Phantom wallet. I just had never done that. Okay. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's like anyone that is used to Ethereum moves over to Solana. Oh my God, this is so nice. Yeah. So the big knock on Solana is that it's not as decentralized as Ethereum is, but I don't know if the average person cares that much. Cool. That's the latest. It's been fun to continue down this path. It'll be fun to continue seeing. I'm sure the rate of change is going to continue getting faster. Each week, you're going to see new things pop up. Oh yeah. It's insane. So like giving people advice here, it's stick to like the standard stuff, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Solana is probably the third. Uh, if you're messing around with these like minor coins, that stuff changes like every single day and new projects are popping up. It's just kind of dangerous unless you're really well read, really up to date on everything. But so the other idea that you want to talk about is rent as a service. So what do you think of this? One? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You sent this over as an idea. Like, hey, could you just do, you know, productized tech due diligence, or right? It was just due diligence. Yeah. So I'm in a bunch of communities, and I know a bunch of folks from like other MBA programs, and they have a background similar to me. Maybe they're somewhat tech savvy. Maybe they work for a tech company, but they don't have that tech partner and things. So they're trying to buy these companies, and they don't have a great way to diligence them. And people listen to the podcast, and they're like this came up where someone said, oh, Colin is a partner of Brent that does this stuff. And I, I do think there's an opportunity to like help out all these MBAs looking to buy a business and do uh, Brent as a service. Yeah, I'd <laughs> love to do it. Due diligence is, it is very, 
uh, I don't call it easy, but it's it's, uh, it's not easy, but the process is pretty straightforward and coming up with a really clear rubric. Uh, people have been working on this for a long time. And so there's a bunch of standards already out there. And yeah, and if you could productize it, which to me, productizing it makes it very clean because what has historically happened, I've done this for a long time, my whole career, generally just being a tech part, you get hired to do diligence and then it naturally turns into you doing work on that project. And then it naturally leads you into putting a team together for that project. And it's like a very long tail thing, but if you could cut it off and just say, Hey, you're just buying this and this, or create more productized offerings where you're signing up just for the diligence, you're going to give us the upload your document. Here's my GitHub at access to it and point me in and hit go. And then that's it. I return a report and the, the deal's done. That'd be brilliant. Cause I'd love to do that work too. And I, I think there's a lot of people that are good at that, that can point at concrete things of code, concrete, like analysis, just pure technology. Look at the servers, look at the roadmap, look at the team, do interviews, interview the CTO, interview, or if there is one, or interview the development team to try to understand. It's like um, almost like hiring a lawyer and having them go through when you buy a house or buy a condo, you need to go through all the, the condo notes and and pour through stuff and, and see, since you have the experience and what's going to be a problem versus what's not. So I would love to do that. So maybe we need to set that up as an offshoot of, of Vern, get your due, due diligence. But yeah, I, I would imagine though, if you don't have somebody to do your diligence, who's going to, who, are you, how are you going to hire somebody? So that, that was something that I did for a long time as an agency is we would get startups as clients. And part of the deal is we would sell them you know, our developer time, but then my time to help with recruiting and they would essentially, we would replace ourselves. And it was a little bit like people would be like, why would you do that eating your own lunch? But it actually eating your own lunch, you're cannibalizing your business because down the line, they're going to build their own team. And I think what we found is like that actually created longer tail clients. Like we would work with people for years and sure we might not work with them for, it would be a 12 week project. And then we'd come back the year after two, three, four. And then when the developers leave, we got to do it again. And so it was, it teed up a better relationship and it was a good way of working. It's you're aligning yourself correctly. I do think that it's like a super interesting entry point. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast would be like intrigued by that offering. So if you're interested, reach out to Brent or I, yeah. maybe we get started that way. But once you do that first step, you're involved in like the earliest stages and then they probably need like an operator yeah. or like a product person. And maybe you could do like operators as a service, and provide them with that value, or they want like SEO stuff written. They want content written and you could do like growth as a service where there's a lot of these growth agencies and maybe you get paid a couple thousand a month to write some number of words, some number of articles. And it could be like a nice recurring revenue, like growth business there. That would be like hard. All the stuff right? we're doing already. Yeah. It's all the stuff we're doing already. And it's, it's basically like trying to, create more siloed agencies and put them on a recurring, it would, it would make everybody a little bit easier, but it's also hard to, to cut off product in like very clear silos because sometimes it's just every product's a snowflake. And that's where I struggle with this. And we, it's funny, we had incubated a company. Well, actually it was a, I think I've talked about this company before through, through Ronin. It was the company, it was based out of Chicago called Matchist. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, Stella and Tim, I forget last names, but they had put this business together. It was great. I was actually uh, one of the developers I had in my agency on their platform. And that's actually how I met Paul and like the, the Ronin team essentially is they were 
doing diligence on matches and they wanted to talk to some of the top developers. So I started talking to them and quickly turned into a whole other conversation where we decided to combine forces and do this whole thing. But they were basically a matching service for agencies and people that needed or developers and people that needed development work done. And they tried to add some structure and I think they had payments as part of the system that they could escrow a payment or a down payment for you. And at the time there was another company that just raised, they had raised a ton of money and I forget what it was called, geez, but it was, you could go on there and just put your tech project and get it built. And now we see this with low code technologies where, Hey, you can get this done for a hundred bucks and they'll slap together some low code tools and you're off to the races. You have an app or your MVP, your product or something. But one of the things we struggled with that business in trying to operate it was just how gooey tech projects are. It's like the requirements are, you have to be really diligent around requirements gathering. And that means getting, putting a lot of time in and clients generally don't want to, they just want to pay someone to get it done. Okay. I want to add for Blink Cell. We just want to do a new design and add ACH and add cryptocurrency payments. Okay. But there's like a gajillion questions, how you do it, what does it look like and who's responsible or accountable for those design decisions is it's like hiring using, I always use a house analogy with tech. It's like hiring a, an architect and a builder and then and saying, Hey, go build my house. And then you show up to move in and you're like, why is this door here? It's like you have to, clients have to be in pretty involved and the less involved you are, the more you're going to pay. So it's tricky. I don't know. I haven't found a good, a good solution for that, but diligence, I think is, I like that because it's like very clear deliverable. What's the outcome? Boom. It's not like a nebulous ongoing service. That's going to require maintenance every month, you know, shipping a custom software project would. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. But yeah. I, I look at, I'm curious why Toptail doesn't get in this space. They do a lot of vetting and supposedly have a superior talent base, which I think I shared on this podcast. I tried them out. I didn't really find that to be necessarily true, but it was, they're definitely, I know they do the, the work to uh, verify these uh, developers that they put them through code challenges. But yeah, I like the, the diligence, which makes me think we need to do a better job of, you know, our own scorecards. Whereas I do tech diligence. Now I look at the deal and I just go through the steps I know to take, but I, I think we need to put together like a better formalized scorecard. Yeah, that was a takeaway from ESW of like scorecards and like processes for everything. And we've been maybe a little too willy nilly on everything where we like, we definitely have perspectives and this is a positive and this is a negative, but it's all uh, more qualitative than it should be. It could easily be moved to be yeah. more quantitative. Yeah. So what are the tools out there? Is, is anybody like building a, you could totally use like Notion or Rome. You could probably hack a tool to be your playbook, but I, I feel like there are some tools out there that, that are probably geared exactly to this. Do you have any ideas? What do you want out of the tool? We had somebody on the formulated podcast. I'm going to look him up. Yeah. Adam Schweiker. This guy was telling me about a tool set that he, it was like business process management software in a sense. It was part that, but also part just like, just capture the process, capture step-by-step step and like the decision trees. But it's almost like something that you can quickly compose a process or also create a rubric and have that be something where you could almost go to a web page and fill out a form and, okay, I've just done the tech due diligence form. And that form has captured the quantitative metrics of 
the due diligence process. I'm, I'm going through, I'm giving ratings for one to 10 for code base or whatever it is. And it seems like that would be a great way to, to do it. It's like, you could do it in Google docs. You could do it in a spreadsheet, things like lucid chart. I think what he was talking about was called process street. I'm looking it up online right now because we had this whole conversation with him and it's a pretty new software. Yeah. It's simple process and workflow management. This is neat. It's for recurring checklists and procedures. I'm not a user of it. He talked about how great it was and how he's become an expert in it. But this might be something we, we check out, which is running a structured process and at least just capturing what are the steps we take. That's one of my main exercises, what I call like a, it's a loaded term, but it's not really a process diagram as much as just, it's, I call it value chain, but it's not value. I know that has like business school connotation, like value chain mapping. But just like, how do you get your raw materials out the door? And like, where do things start and just map it all out from step to step. And so I do that in pen and paper, but then it's ephemeral. It gets thrown out. <laughs> I have terrible organization with my paper. It just, I'm doing it on a legal pad and I'm constantly moving the notes back onto the legal pad and on the main page and just ripping pages out. So I like this idea of trying process street. Yeah, I've never seen this. It's worth poking around. I'd say the individuals that do it well, like the creators that start building up a team of VAs or like assistants, mm. is they'll, when they realize they're doing stuff multiple times, they'll record a loom and then mm. they'll send it to their VA and then the VA will write it out. Like this is step by step. And then they have like their standard operating procedures in Notion generally. Mm. And that's like a central database that future VAs or future team members, that's where they go to to see how to do everything. But that only works, I don't know, a team of five, a team of 10. Once you scale up, maybe it is something like Process Street that I, I just have never seen before. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna try that. That's my takeaway for this next week is I'm gonna give it a, a, a try. And I guess we should have probably done this before mentioning on the podcast so we could <laughs> endorse it if it's a you know terrible piece of software. But hey, we'll review it live. Let's see how it goes. I think the, if nothing else, between you and I, just writing out like, What's the process for taking a support request? And so we have an easier time onboarding like folks like David, who's been taking on our, our Blink Cell support. It's like, the more we can support people like that, the more you can leverage. I think that's the, the key takeaway. So that's my, I'm going to check into process street, see if it does it for us. Cool. Uh, yeah. So this episode is all over the place, more of a catch up. Uh, like for the people listening, I'd love to hear feedback. What you'd like to talk about? Do you like these catch-up episodes? Uh, we could take this in all different types of directions. Yeah, swaddling tips, whatever you guys are into. <laughs> Tons of swaddling tips. Yeah, maybe <laughs> a baby episode. But. Yeah, I've got I've got a fair. I actually just found a, a binky in my pocket, so I'm, I'm sitting on my desk here with me. I'm in full-on dad mode, which oh, it has been wonderful, though. I, I make a lot of comments about as it relates to business and work and my mission. And what what am I doing in my life? But the, there's nothing that I've enjoyed more than being a dad in the last two years. It's been super fun and it's just fills your cup, man. It's like totally a itch that it scratches. Then you just don't even really know it's there. I'm somebody who was like, I'm never going to have kids. I, we, my wife and I were like, we're not having kids. Fuck that. <laughs> like, it seems too hard and whatever else. So it, it can be for anybody. Super cool. That's been like pretty consistent feedback. I've heard from a number of people that have had kids. So it's good to hear. Yeah, it feels like the, I know this, it's, it feels like something you're actually creating that's way better than you would ever create from like a professional perspective. You're creating like a living, breathing person. But meanwhile, my oldest is two. They don't 
I don't really talk back just yet. He, he does, but it's complicated. So I, I'm, I'm high on it with a newborn and a two-year-old. <laughs> it's very simple right now. They still right. like me. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.